I was kind of like Kathy, I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> anyway, it is, uh, <clears throat> it is good that we could be together, and I've been working through some lessons on trusting God, and we talked about trusting God for our salvation, and trusting God through the Word, and uh, trusting God in prayer, and trusting God when trials come. So we're going to hit the last lesson on that series, but it kind of looks at us more in God. I know, I know we can trust God, and we'll hit two verses here in just a minute on that again as we get into the text uh, that we're going to look at this afternoon. But the real question I think we also have to think about, are we trustworthy? So can God trust us? Can he count on us? I, I think that's so important. When you think about the passage there and that Tim just read in Romans 14, verses 7 and 8, if we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. That sounds like you're saying you're trustworthy. Sounds like you're saying I'm all in. Sounds like you're saying, Lord, you can count on me. And we definitely need, we can count on the Lord, but can the Lord count on us? So let's look at a few passages um, this afternoon on that point. Turn with me over to 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'm just going to hit a few real quick. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 13. If we had more time, we'd back up in the text. But listen to this. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Think about that. God is who God is. And everything he does is going to point to who he is. He's not going to do anything that shows any contradiction in anything about himself. You know, we can take time over in Titus 1 and show God cannot lie. So we know if he said it, it's true. But it says, whether you are faithful or not, let me make sure you know something. God will remain faithful. So God is going to do what he says no matter what I do. Now, that doesn't mean he will save me no matter what I do, because that's not what he said. Uh, Matthew 7 and verse 21 says, Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father who's in heaven. So you think about that. He is faithful. So the question is, though, are we faithful? Are we trustworthy? I know I can trust in God's word. I know I can trust in him in prayer. I know I can trust in him in trials that I go through. I know I can trust in him for my salvation. I can trust in God for anything and everything. But can God count on me? Have I proven myself to be trustworthy to him and even to be trustworthy to you? We think about that. You know, we mentioned, look around, and we've got some members that are missing some of them because they're sick and not doing well, and some of them ongoing illnesses and can't be with us. And some, we look around and we don't know where they're at. So you know what? We need to contact them. Now, I'm going to tell you what. You still won't know anything about them unless you contact them. And here's what I do so also know. If you get information second or third hand, it just gets further from the truth all the time. Probably some of you played that silly game before they call gossip where you sit in a circle and you tell this little story to the person next to you, you whisper in their ear and whisper, and by the time you get around to the last person, it's nowhere close to what it started out. And so we need to let them know it doesn't do enough just for one person to contact them. We all need to show that concern for others. 
And so I think about that. We need to prove ourselves to our brethren too. Look at another one over in Titus chapter 1. Titus 1 and verse 16. They profess to know God. Have you met people who tell you they're Christians? Oh man, I'm about as Christian a person as you'll ever meet. And I'm right with the Lord and I know I can trust in Him. They profess to know God, but by their deeds... They deny him. That still reminds me, I don't know if Tamara remembers it. I don't want to admit to what congregation it was, but a lady come out of services, out of services and Tammy was back there with me, and Tammy says, well, it's good to have you visit. I'm not a visitor. I'm a member here. I looked at it for quite a while. I've never seen her like that. So, you know, you look at that. You're a member here, and you don't even attend. And she didn't attend again for ever either. Well, she obviously doesn't know what it is to be a member. And so she professes to know God, but by your deeds they deny him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. Let me just mention something. Does the Bible tell us, if you need to, I'll give you the passage, so we go to Ephesians and Colossians. Does the Bible tell us one of the things we're to do? We're to sing to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Does it tell us that we're to teach one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual if I'm not here, can I do that? So I can't fulfill that if I don't attend services. You know, there's a lot of people said, I want the Lord, but I don't want the church. It don't work like that. You don't get the groom unless you take the bride. You don't take his bride, you're going to offend the boy. It's not going to go well. He died for her. I think about how important that is. And, and even in the first century, they had a problem with that. You think about John writing in 1 John chapter 4. You can't love God whom you've not seen if you don't love the brethren whom you do see. Because I, I always think it's funny. Well, I love them, but I don't like them. That's about the most ignorant statement ever. Um, you know, first of all, it doesn't mean some people aren't harder to love at times than others. Not everyone can be as easy to love as I am. I understand. No, no, you look at that. We all at times are challenging to one another, aren't we? We are. And, you know, if I only love, oh, boy, I just think about so many passages on this. If I only treat well those who treat me well, I'm just like the Gentiles then, aren't I? I'm just like every other worldly person. Wow, we got to hold on to that. So am I, do I prove myself to be trustworthy? Let's go to another one. If Vernon was here, I'd point out, I'll tell even though he isn't here. Either he can pull it up on internet or Charlene can pull it up. Uh, one of his favorite passages is Romans 6, verses 3 and 4. And in verse 4, at the end of that, after it says we've been buried in baptism, it says we've been walk, raised to walk in newness of life. So when I become a Christian, I come out of the watery grave, am I making a commitment to God he can count on me now? Is that what that means? A God, you can count on me. You took my sins away. You enrolled me in heaven. You gave me this inheritance. While I'm here, you can count on me. Your son died for me. I'm going to live. Isn't that kind of what that means? Are there people who don't stand by that commitment? And there are people who do. I think about that. I don't know. Bunch. But performed wedding ceremonies. And I've been in one where I said the I do. You know, um, you look at that. Does everyone who said I do did it? Some of them didn't do it long, did they? Um, so you look at that. You know, there's a lot of people don't understand they're committing adultery on God, 
when they don't remain faithful. They are fornicating spiritually. You know, and I could give you passage, we go all the way back to Hosea and show where that point's introduced early, uh, even in the Old Testament, and show you how that, how that analogy is drawn very much in Ephesians. We have to understand who we are. So God needs to be able to count on us. Now, I did mention one passage, and I think it's so important, and I just don't know if I can show people it enough. So turn over to one we probably know part of it really well. Hebrews 10 and verse 25. There's so much in this one verse. And if I had time, we'd break down from really 19 through 26 or 27, but we're not going to take time for that today. You have my permission for your bedtime story to read Hebrews 10, 19 through 27 today. You needed my permission, right? But anyway, verse 25, he says, Not forsaking our own assembling together. Is assembling together important? Is this passage, even if I don't know anything else, is he saying assembling together is important? Well, he didn't say, I just asked a question. Is he saying assembling together is important? Yeah, you shouldn't forsake it. Not forsaking our own assembling as the habit of, do some people have the habit that they're gone as much as they're here or they're going to be gone here? You don't know whether you can count on them being here or not? Their habit is you don't know. You know, even when I coached football, I had players who you didn't know if they're going to show up practice or not. Well, then if I can't count on them, I'm not putting them in the game. Team doesn't know they can count on them, so why am I going to worry about them? And so you look, we need to, people need to know they can count on I've had people say, well, attendance isn't that important. Attendance is huge. I tell you what, go enroll in school and don't attend. Jamie even got talked to about Hunter when he was hunting with me. Because he, I just need to know if he's with me, it's better than going to school. But anyway, no, you look at that. If you miss it, you're, you're supposed to be here. Ben, let's say for the next two weeks you don't show up with work. How's that going to go? Uh-oh, Ben's going to have to need to find a new job because he didn't show up to work. You know, my dad was one of those people, and I'm, kind, I'm way like this too, but you, if my dad was late, something was wrong, seriously wrong. He was going to be early no matter what. And you know what? I always think about that. People who are habitually late walk in. Let's say you're in a class and you get your kids there late. You do know you're making it hard on the teacher and the rest of the class, right? They don't even get to have a full class because they know you're going to be late, so they either got to string it along or they got to go back and back up. See, you're not putting anybody else ahead of you. And so we really have to think about who we are. Now, I didn't say you couldn't have a flat tire on the way. Okay, well, then you got to stop. But that don't ha- flat tires don't happen every week. If it does, tell me we need to find some better tires. Uh, we have to remember who he is. So you look at this, not forsaking our own assembly, it's the habit of some, but instead of staying away, you need to come together because that will encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. I've made this point so many times. You guys have had to hear me make this point many times. One of the most encouraging things you can do is show up to every service. That will encourage your brothers and sisters. Because when you don't, just think about people, you look at him, even when you do. Here's Vernon, he's sick again. I'm sorry he's sick. It would have been way more encouraging if Vernon was here, right? Now, I know he can't be here. I know he doesn't control that. So he's not forsaking the assembly, but he's also not able to be an encouragement to us. And we're not here being able to be an encouragement to him. 
God knows how we need one another for encouragement from him. God uses us as a tool to supply that encouragement. We have to remember that. We have to hold on to that. Think about another one. You guys know this one pretty well. Mark 16, 15, and 16. We're to go into all the world and preach the gospel to supposed to go and preach yeah Jesus said go and preach and he told us we're to preach the gospel and he that believes and is baptized shall be saved and he that disbelieves shall be damned go preach does God need us does Jesus need us does God need us to preach the gospel let me ask you this if you and I don't preach the gospel who's going to did God choose us as the avenue in which to make his gospel known yeah, he did. So it falls on us. I'm going to start praying about it more all the time. So you're going to hear me mention a lot in public prayers. But I'm going to pray all the time, Lord, give us all today. And when he, you know, tomorrow comes, then that will be today again. But give us today someone to teach the gospel to. You just think how great it would be if every member of the Franklin County congregation brought someone to Christ this year. No, you don't get a milk off somebody else. Every member brought someone there. Oh, you think it'd light a fire? Oh, yeah, it would. Well, quit looking around, and it starts with you. It starts with me. You got to understand how that is. But we got to go out there, and we got to do it. You, you can come up with umpteen excuses why not to do it. But let me ask you again, did Jesus still say, he didn't say kindle, that implies it. Kindle, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. You can put your name in there. He says, so that they can believe that gospel, be baptized, and be saved. We have to do that. That is, did God wash our sins away in a watery grave of baptism? He did what he said. We can trust him, right? Is his son going to return and take the faithful home? Then he says, now what are you doing for me? And we have to hold on and remember that. Look with me over to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4 real quick. 1 Corinthians 4. And then I'll mention a passage in Luke, and then we'll go back to a passage in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Look at verse 2 of 1 Corinthians 4. In this case, moreover, I could back all the way up because he's talking about being a servant of God, a servant of Christ. In this case, moreover, it is required, required, it is required of stewards, is that us? It is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. Well, we would like it to be trustworthy. No. You must be trustworthy. This isn't a suggestion. This isn't an encouragement. This is something that's required. It's something, it's kind of like, you know, you took classes. I have to think a long ways back to high school. But, you know, there was classes you could take that you didn't have to take. I kind of usually liked those kind of classes. I think my senior year, I think I had three gym classes. Okay. But they required you took English and math and some of these subjects. I don't know why we just didn't have PE all the time. But anyway, they required you. to. These were required. You know, if you didn't get them, you didn't get to graduate. You didn't get a diploma. You didn't fulfill the requirements. Well, he said it's required for stewards, servants of the Lord to be trustworthy. 
So what's he saying? Well, if I can't trust you to do what I've instructed you to do, then you're really not one of my servants. Or at least you're not a servant that's acceptable in what you do. And I've always said this. Let's say I got this person, and I got, an, I got this business, and I got 20 employees. Okay, I got 20 employees, and I got 19 of them you can trust. And I got this other one. You don't know if they're going to show up when they're supposed to or you're not going to show up when they're supposed to. And you don't know, even when they went there, if they come, if they're going to do much of anything, you'd be better off not to have them. Because that person, you schedule him, and now you got to get someone else to cover for him. And it'd be better if you didn't have them than you had them. Now, the problem is, is when you got 20 and you got three good employees and the other 17 are that. Because then you think, man, well, I don't, I don't have the option, but it's terrible. The Lord needs people to say, man, you can count on me. I'm going to do this. And you know, some people are this way that when it gets a little tough, they just kind of meant, let's get it on. And there's other people, as soon as it gets a little tough, they don't want to do it anymore. That hurts. Some things do hurt. Some things are hard. But you just got to grit your teeth and do it. Heard the old folks grin and bear it. I think sometimes you got to cry and bear it. You just got to suck it up. You got to get through it. And just like Dennis mentioned at the end of his class, and Pat almost likes this passage, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I've got to trust in him. And indeed we do. And Jesus even said, I mentioned it this morning, Luke 9, 62. If you put your hand to the plow and you look back, you're not fit for the kingdom of heaven. You're not what? Let me tell you what, brethren. If you become a Christian and you don't follow through, you're not fit to go to heaven. Is that what he said? That's what Jesus said right there in Luke. I'm telling you what, Kendall, you started it, finish it. That's what he's telling me. Kendall, you, you got in this, you got to stay in it the whole time. Oh, if I had time, we'd go to passage after passage. on. I've got to be one of those guys who's going to get the job done. Oh, I love 1 Corinthians 15. Last verse in 1 Corinthians 15 happens to be verse 58. And he tells us there in verse 58 that we need to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work. Uh-oh. In the work of the Lord. Steadfast, immovable, always. Sound like that's someone who's going to get the job done? And they're going to stick with it till it's finished. Steadfast and immovable. Does that sound like they're easily shaken? No. Sound like they're going to, through thick and thin, you can count on them. That's who we need to be. If I had time, we'd back up in 1 Corinthians 15, but we'd be here till late. We'd back up in 1 Corinthians 15. He's going to talk about what Jesus did for us in his death, burial, and resurrection, and the promise of the resurrection of him and having our bodies changed in a twinkling of an eye and us being made just like him to enjoy the eternal uh, blessings of heaven. And he's also going to say, deal with us on the point of it's not easy to be a Christian, but we have the victory in Jesus Christ. And that's why we need to remember to be steadfast, immovable, because the victory is ours. It's already been won. I don't have to wait to see how it turns out. Some of you watched any college football yesterday. Some big names failed. They were predicted to win big. Some did, but some didn't win big. 
And some of them just barely, the other team just barely squeaked a win out. Wow. Well, we're not going to barely squeak a win out. I'm telling you what, Jesus crushed Satan's hand. I mean, it's overwhelming. And the victory is ours in Christ Jesus. But we've got to be trustworthy. Look at another one. Uh, go with me over to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter 2, verses 11 and 12 of 1 Peter 2. Beloved, I urge you as aliens. I've heard a lot about illegal aliens over the last few weeks on the news. I think they all live on the other side of the river in El Paso, Texas. Bunch of them down there. Aliens. Now, I'm not trying to be mean, but that means they don't belong here. I'm not trying to be judgmental, but if you're an alien, you don't look like the other people, you don't belong there. And when you're an illegal alien, obviously you don't belong there. Now, I'm not trying to get into anything politically, but I want you to see what this says. You know what? I really don't belong here. I really don't fit in here. Because we sing the song, this world is not my home. This world's not my home. And so as we read this passage, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against your soul. And there's what he says. Keep your behavior excellent. You know, some people want to keep their behavior marginal. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the things in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God. In the so no matter what they do to you, you're still faithful and you still do what's right. And maybe some of them, well, let me mention another passage, says kind of the same thing. Quoted a lot, Matthew 5, verse 16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So we can't be like the world. we got to be like aliens. Now, I've been in foreign countries. And Tammy was uh, talking to a lady when we were in Columbus, Ohio. And it wasn't someone born in Columbus, Ohio, because in Columbus, Ohio, they almost speak English. Kind of like in Kansas, we almost speak English. But <laughs> no, but you look, and this lady was speaking some kind of language to her two kids. And our daughter-in-law, who's Albanian, was in going through and Tammy asked the lady, what language are you speaking? And she said something. Tammy starts talking to her, and she says, I don't understand what you're saying. You know? It's like, uh, I've been in them other countries. Right? Can you speak English? Yes, but you can't. <laughs> but anyway, no, you look and you see that. You stand out just by what you say. And sometimes you, you know, it's kind of interesting. You, can you guys believe sometimes on when we were in Germany, and I've seen this in all every place you go in Europe, they'll bump into you all the time. They don't know about keeping any. So if this is you, they'll bump as you go down the road. They'll walk a place. They'll bump into you all the time. They're always brushing on you. What's your problem? And they just expect you to give way. So I just decided we was in Amherst, Germany. I said, watch this, Tammy. So I just decided I was going to set myself. Well, they hit me, and they looked at me like, why didn't he give way? You know, They knew I didn't belong there just because I didn't give way all the time. Now, you look at that. I was just having fun with them, seeing how they would react. But you look in that, we can show who we are, can't we? You know, just like if you ever visit Alaska and you go into somebody's house, always take your shoes off if you're in somebody's house you're walking. Always take your shoes off. 
because that will be seen as a great insult if you don't. So you have to learn some of those things. Well, there's some things the world does. I'm just not going to take time for that. I'm going to take time for other things. So since we do what's godly and they do what's ungodly, we're angel, a, aliens and strangers. I tried to put them both together. A, aliens and strangers. I think another point about being trustworthy, a passage that I bet Ben also thought about when I said that was 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. You know who we need to trust the gospel to? Faithful men who will be able to teach others also. It doesn't do any good to entrust them. Let's say you have a little baby. I've seen this. I don't remember who sent it to me. I think uh, Jeff Winters. I used to call him the Iceman. He used to preach at Fort Stone. And it showed this man. He's throwing this little baby up just a little ways up in the air. And it said, this is how this man sees throwing this baby up in the air. And then it showed him throwing about 10 feet up in the air, this little baby. It says, this is how this baby sees his dad throwing him up in the air. And then it had him throwing like 30 feet in the air. It says, this is how his mother sees him throwing that baby up in the air. So, you know, it's all perception, right? So, you think about that, and we've got to remember who we are, and we've got to remember who he is, but it doesn't do any good to give unfaithful people the gospel because you know what they're going to do with it? This is Kendall's word. Not a stinking thing. I mean, you can have the Great Commission. You can know it's your responsibility to preach the gospel, but unless you're faithful, you won't share it with anybody. Faithful people will talk it up. And so, you know, I I always think about when people, when I talk to them about things in the Bible, Christians, they say, well, where does it say I have to whatever? There's the whole thing. I mean, I already know we're barking up a tree. Because you look at that, it's like, you don't want to do this? You, you're only going to do what you have to do? And I then tell them, well, let me tell you what, the Bible says you, it doesn't even say you have to go to heaven. It wants people who want to be in heaven and want to live for the Lord. Uh, <clears throat> Dennis brought up another passage I thought about when he got to it, and I'm going to turn back to it anyway. Uh, over in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, Verses 7 and 8, he mentions, it looks like my grade card in verse 7 and 8. There's one, two, three, there's four F's on it, okay? So he said here, I fought, more than four, the good fight. I finished the course. I kept the faith. In the future, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me all that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. I fought the good fight. I always think about that idea. I think most people, and I know this probably goes even further than that, most people never really been in much of a fight. You ever been in a fight where you spit blood afterwards? You ever been, oh, man, that hurt. That hurt bad. Now my jaw's messed up. You get in those, you know you've been in, did you win? Yeah, I won. What's the other guy look like then? You know, you look at that, fought the good fight. It's going to leave some marks along the way if you're in a real fight. Oh, it's going to leave some marks. Now, if you just beat somebody up, that's not too bad. But if you're in a fight with someone who's in the same caliber or close to the same, it's, it's not much fun, even when you win. So they fought the good fight. You know what? Our opponent is like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. You want to go hand-to-hand combat with a roaring lion? Not me. Give me a bow or something. But just hand-to-hand, he's got sharp little nails on his hands called claws, and he got bigger teeth than me. 
And so, nope, I don't want to fight with him. I don't have to fight with him because I got a Savior who already destroyed him. So I just got to draw near to God, and God will draw nigh unto me. And I have to remember who he is and who I am. So we got to fight the good fight. also think that's so important. We've got to finish the course. You know, you look at that, someone decides they're going to run this far. You ever seen someone quit in the middle of? When I was a kid, I know we decided we were going to start running some long distance to get in shape. You ever run where you got a bad side, sharp side ache? You ever done that? You know what that's from? That's oxygen deficiency. That's because you're out of shape. And your lungs can't take in enough oxygen for your body. Because if you're in shape, you'll never get one of those side aches. Because your body will always have enough oxygen that you won't get one that won't hurt like that. So you look at that. Well, oh, it starts hurting. i got to quit. Well, if you keep doing that every day, it'll go away. I'm not doing it every day until it goes away. Okay, so every time you're going to run any distance, you're going to hurt in your side then. That's what a lot of, no, you got to finish it. You started it, you got to finish it. That's what trustworthiness does. It finishes the course, and I kept the faith. Let's say someone comes to you, and they got a little baby. Their little baby's six months old. They say, hey, Ken Faber, I've got to go to the doctor today. I have some exams. Can you watch this baby, my baby, for me? six months. So they come home after the <coughs> doctor's appointment and they say, well, I'm here to pick up Susie or whatever this baby is. I haven't seen her since I was at Walmart. I think I might have left her in the car seat. What? They, I'm pretty sure they planned on you keeping an eye on that little baby that's six months old not leaving in the car. Well, let's go to Walmart and see if we can find there's something wrong with you. So you look, we got to be trustworthy. Has God entrusted us with something bigger than a six-month and more important than a six-month-old baby? And if we don't care for it, can bad things happen? We've got to remember who he is, and we've got to hold on. We've got to entrust this to faithful men. We've got to fight. We've got to finish. We've got to keep the faith. So in the future, there is laid up for us a crown of righteousness. Two more passages, and it's yours. Turn back with me to 1 Peter, and then we'll go to 1 John, and we'll be done with this. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 5. Just two verses real quick in 1 Peter chapter 5. Verse 9. But resist him. Resist. Resist him. Sounds like we're going to be a little bit of a fight here. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experience of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. He just talked about the devil, didn't he? Who's our adversary, like a roaring lion. you got to resist him. you got to stand up. You can't go along with everything. Have you ever heard this? If you don't stand up for something, you'll fall for anything? Some people don't stand up. I don't know what they stand up for. seems like they don't stand They'll just go along with any, whatever's, they'll go with this group, and they'll go, just whatever keeps everybody else happy. Jump on down. In this chapter to verse uh, 12, look at the very last in the numeric standard, the last four words of verse 12. Stand firm in it. Stand firm in it. Hmm. You got to be in it, and you got to stand firm in it. You know, you think about that. That's kind of like setting yourself, getting your foundation underneath you right, ready for whatever comes. This faith we have, we've got to stand up 
It doesn't say step firm in it, set firm in it. It says stand, stand firm, and stay in it. So we've got to stand up for things, don't we? Is that what Paul meant when he said, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel? Is he going to stand up for it? I mean, you think about the first passage that Tim read for us there in Romans chapter 14. Does that sound like you're going to stand firm in it? Whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. That sounds like you're going to stand firm in it. We must stand firm in it. So then I think about another one because the last passage I'm going to look at kind of gets to the point of, well, what, what about we have? What about in our Christianity that God has been trustworthy? We can trust him in every aspect of every part of life, but we've not been one he could trust for us to follow through what we Now what? I've been wishy-washy. I've been soft. I looked back. I wasn't who I needed to be. Well, if you look at 1 John 1 and verse 9, it says when we are not who we need to be, and when we're not who we need to be, are we sinning? Well, Dennis was in James 4, 17 for just a little bit. If you know the right or good thing to do and you don't do it, what? You've sinned. Well, this says if we confess our sins... What's that mean? Guilty. You admit guilt, don't you? I've sinned. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all. What about if we don't? What if we just sweep it under the rug? Then you're going to keep it. But if you want him to be faithful and righteous to forgive your sins, here we are. We talked about New Year's resolutions in, in Bible class. We need to make sure we start this year. I mean, this year is no different than any year. This day is no different than any other day. But we need to make sure that we prove ourselves to be trustworthy to God. And if we haven't been, then own up to it. Confess it. Repent. And then and only then will he be faithful and righteous to forgive your sins. If we can help you this afternoon.